Hello, I'm Phil Svitek, 360 Creative Coach, and welcome to my blog, where it's both my mission and my pleasure to highlight my creative journey in hopes of inspiring you, giving you a specific takeaway, all in the hopes that your creative journey can just be at least a little bit easier. Now, before I fully dive into everything, I would like to take the opportunity to invite you to subscribe if you haven't already. That way you get all the various lessons and episodes that I put out right when I put them out. Thank you if you just did, and thank you if you already were. It truly does mean a lot to me, as I hope it does to you. So, let's get into things. One of the things that uh, kind of came up last week, and, and it speaks to a larger thing. I was talking about this with my friend Jonathan Moulton, who's a visual effects artist, who um, was a co-cinematographer on my latest feature film, a Bogota Trip. And we were just talking how Beware of the expert, essentially, is how I would, like, coin it. Because there's so many people in this world that will just criticize your work. And sometimes rightly and sometimes unrightly. But it's interesting how there are these so-called experts who, essentially unsolicited in many ways, will, uh, you know, talk your work to shit and kind of give you like a very backhanded compliment and say like, hey, if you hire me, I can fix this, right? And what ends up happening is that what they end up doing isn't really better. <laughs> and in fact, they'll say, well, what do you want? Um, you know, what you have and blah, 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 it's unfixable and you should have did, you know, you guys should have shot at X, Y, and Z. And it's interesting because, again, these aren't like, if they were really experts, they would know how to fix it, right? And I'm not saying, listen, there's obviously a limitation to anything out there, but it's interesting how one of my greatest strengths I've come to realize is finding sort of unknown players across the world, essentially, who are just full of solutions, right? Because I've been there where, for example, just the, the way I shoot green screen, you know, they're like, oh, you know, you didn't light it properly and this and that, like, it's going to look like crap. And I'm like, okay, I just, I just need you to key it out. Like, I, I, whatever, right? And they're like, no, it can't be done, whatever. And then I find somebody who's like, yeah, no, it can be done. I mean, it's not ideal, but it can be done, right? And so... Yeah, I just always find that fascinating. And I don't know, you know, with my friend Jonathan, I don't know if they think that it comes from this place of like, if they shit talk your work, that you'll hire them and you'll give them a lot of money. And then in reality, like, again, they don't really end up bringing a lot to the table. And so I've been there before, you know? Um, so it's always very interesting to me in, the, in that way when that sort of happens. Now, at the same time, I always try to be some, or at least I'm trying to get to be somebody who, you know, kind of keeps an open mind and doesn't allow my ego to, to be hurt and then kind of swear that person off. And, you know, that's kind of led me to an interesting place very recently because, you know, there's someone that... Um, through a friend, 
you know, does a lot of audio restoration. And so in that sense, looking at my movies, it was like, oh, can, you know, can this be improved upon? Right? And, you know, at the end of the day, I think two things are simultaneous, or maybe even three. Uh, Number one, yes, anything can be improved. And I was joking about it with my friend Ian of like, yeah, if I had, you know, $200,000 budget just for sound, you know, we we could take it to a whole new level, right? Of course, right? You you know, when you have the resources to be able to do that, great. Number two, some of it is an artistic choice. I mean, I'll never forget, I was watching the third Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. And, you know, this is a professional movie. And I was like, wow, it kind of sounds like garbage. Like, you know, they're in the midst, on top of this mountain. And you would see, like, that there's wind sort of tossing their hair. And yet it's not reflective of the sound design. <laughs> right? And I'm like, wow. They probably, like, ADR the hell out of this. And it just sounds so hollow to me. And it was very interesting, you know, to think about that. And, and, you know, conversely, people look at, like, Christopher Nolan's movies and they give him primarily a lot of shit because they don't like his sound design. You know, a big criticism is, I can't hear what they're saying. And, you know, certainly that's a professionally sound mix movie to, to the max. And that was an artistic choice on his end to, to do it in the way that he did. Right? So that, that becomes, yeah, the secondary thing. The first being, you know, of course, if he had money. The second being um, that it, it becomes an artistic choice. And, and the third, you know, sometimes you just run out of time, right? Like you do the best with what you got. And, um, you know, you just sometimes lean into it, right? I, I think, you know, the, the idea of perfection gets thrown a lot around when it comes to art and, you know, stuff like that. And at the end of the day, no movie, no book, no song, like nothing's perfect, right? It's all a subjective. Um, But even so, like, you know, ask any artist and they'll nitpick their work to death, right? Especially, you know, after years pass, you know, you can talk to an author and they'll be like, ooh, you know, yeah, I, I, I could have cut out this or, you know, I could have gone stronger on this chapter and this, parts of, this part of the book is weak. Whatever it may be, right? We essentially become our own worst critics in that way. But, you know, where, where this all kind of started and why I went on this tangent was because, I, you know, I met somebody who's really interested and can kind of... Uh, do something, right? And now, the way I approach all these things is like, let's do a test. You know, before we deep dive into anything, like, let's let's do like a one minute, two minutes, whatever. Let's just sample, you know, so you get a flavor of my working style, you know, and I get a flavor of your working style. We can see the end result, see if it's really worth, you know, the time and the effort that would go into it, right? Because again, at a certain point, you know, it's like all these things, like, you know, we have to budget out financials, but as well as time and resources and all these different things. And, you know, there's, with everything, right, there's ways to 
improve it, right? And, you know, I remember having a mentor that worked on video games and they were talking about like essentially creating the sound design for, for like racing video games. And, you know, it was like, where was the money go, gonna go towards? Was it gonna go into sound design making it sound like just highly realistic or just good enough? And instead like you were much better off spending that money on licensing cars that you knew people wanted to drive in real life, but now they could in a video game, right? Um, so it becomes a balance of like, what is, what is the most for your ROI, right? And I think we all have to, you know, it's something that we all grapple with and have to kind of come to terms with and just kind of accept what our majority goal is, right? There's certain things of like, okay, you know, uh, yes, you could spend that money on this, but maybe it's better spent putting it towards marketing budget, right? And so, yeah, you know, I think that's part of the journey is balancing all these different things and, and learning to embrace it rather than be frustrated with it. Cause you know, time and money is, there's always going to be a lack thereof, right? No matter what you do. And I don't care if you're working on indie, micro budget, no budget level versus, you know, a movie like Inception. I mean, you know, that, that's one thing that's listening to uh, Team Deacon's uh, podcast, which is a podcast hosted by uh, cinematographer Roger uh, Deacons and his partner, uh, James. And, you know, they interview these amazing people. And that's a big, big takeaway is that no matter how many seemingly resources you have and just there's never enough time and there's never enough money. It's just, it's just kind of, you know, um, just the pressures might be a little bit different, but um, really it's, it all ends up kind of being the same a little bit. And so you have to, you know, you're all trying to make your day as it were and stuff like that. So you just balance it. But that's why for me, having people who are solution oriented and aren't coulda, shoulda, woulda, you know, like being Captain Hindsight, you know, those are the people I love to work with. Um, so yeah, you know, and, and two, like, I was trying to explain this with my friends because another balancing act is you certainly want to put your best foot forward, right? Like, you know, the, you want your first impression, whether it be executives or fans, whoever, that that they really appreciate what you put out there. You don't want to put out garbage, right? But there is a certain aspect to it when I look at just things in general today, and they're revised. You know, Star Wars came out and it was an amazing hit, right? And yet... It's been tinkered by George Lucas and, you know, by his standard improved upon, right? Uh, you know, we certainly get restorations or recuts or, you know, director's cuts and so forth that improve upon the original work. Um, sometimes, you know, things get uh, recolored, right? So, you know, the cinematographer intended it, the movie to look one way, the studio took it and, I don't know, just made it look bland and then all of a sudden you know not 
how it was intended, and then the color the the cinematographer comes back in, works a great colorist, and boom, it ends up being that, right? So I, I think that's another sort of balancing act is that you know we're in a stage of life where art kind of is a little bit organic, right? Where it can evolve and it doesn't have to be like this one final cemented thing only. I mean, even just in terms of like film festivals, some movies like preview a movie and then based on the reaction of that, they'll tinker it and blah, blah, blah before they put it out in the theatrical, right? And it's not, it's similar enough to the version that people saw there, but it's, it's been tinkered with, right? So, you know, there, there's all these interesting aspects to it um, that an artist has to ultimately make their decision on, right? That's, that's the creative process, ultimately. So, yeah, t- hopefully uh, take from that what you will. There's a lot thrown at you in that sense. Um, but that's the fun, is that, you know, art can be anything, and as long as you lean into it with a conscious effort, you can make it what you want and make it serve you. And, <laughs> you know, uh, you keep working on it till it is what you want it to be. That's the beautiful part about all of it. Um, sort of separate from all of that, right? Completely switching gears. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, the sneeze denotes a new topic. <laughs> Don't worry, that will not be a running thing. We're all influencers in our own way, right? I was, I was thinking about this, like, just that term influencer, is, you know, now is very heavily used, right? I'm a social media influencer, right? That term, or we, you know, someone who inspires to be that, or, you know, we, we observe people who are that. And I don't love the term simply because it, it almost means that by definition, other people don't have influence. And the fact of the matter is we all have influence in the world. Every day we influence someone else, you know, whether positive or negative. It's just been something that I've been like kind of thinking about. Um, you know, it's extracted from the idea that Don Miguel Ruiz talks about of we are all creators, right? We create our environment, we affect our environment. And we want to do it from a conscious and a good place, right? And so, you know, I don't care, like, I think we put too much value into social media as the measurement of our influence when I think we can go deeper with that. Um, And one of the reasons I've kind of been thinking about this is because, you know, I talked about last vlog entry that that I've been, you know, every, at the end of every night, um, keeping a gratitude journal, like, you know, stuff that I'm grateful for. And it could be from that day or just things that pop up in general that I'm, I'm grateful for or stuff from the past that I remember, any, anything, right? There's no definition to it, right? Any, and what it's been making me realize is the positive effect that I've had uh, you know, just on a daily basis in ways that until I put in the conscious effort, you know, I'm sort of aware, but not, not on a deeper, deeper level. 
And I think that's a beautiful thing for all of us to utilize. You know, I love that tool. And, and once we can, it's very hard to be depressed when you're grateful, right? Like you can't keep those two emotions or feelings rather um, at the same time. And because of that, you know, it's influenced me to have a more upbeat attitude as I go about the world. And that in turn elevates the impact that I can have on the people around me, you know, because there's a higher energy, you know, through Joe Dispenza's work, uh, Joe Dispenza being this uh, scientist um, slash researcher, you know, um, one of the things he explores is like, just how to essentially cure people, right? Physically and mentally. And, you know, one of the things that he's shown is that happiness, you know, for lack of a better term, is a higher energy emotion, right? When, when someone's depressed, we say they have low energy. And it's not coincidental. They are literally omitting lesser energy versus someone who is positive, right? Or happy in that moment. And when you can do that, that, that vibrancy, like scientifically can pierce through, through and affect other people in that way. And, and um, so we all do have this influence. And so I, I, I think about that, I reflect upon that. And I want you to know that because we do have that ability, um, however large or small, you know, I think when we talk about like wanting to have a greater influence, that's really the ego talking. We don't get to, like with art, you know, Stephen Pressfield says we are entitled to the fruit, we are entitled to the labor, not necessarily the fruits of our labor. You know, you have to love the process. And in that way, when you extract it to this, we, we, we don't get to define how we ultimately help people. Um, it's just, we should do it, right? Um, you know, how can you positively contribute? And that's kind of like another thing, um, you know, my, someone I work with, Elise Lunin, one of the things that she posted about was this idea of purpose versus contribution. And I think we over-index this idea of like focusing on purpose. What's my purpose in life? You know, I, I need a de destination. Like I need a destination. I need to know like, why am I here? Well, it's a very esoteric question and can be very arduous to think about. Well, why not shift it and think about, well, what are ways you can contribute, right? What, what do you want, how do you want to contribute in, right? And when you do that, your purpose essentially presents itself. And contribution can, as I've been sort of talking about with this whole episode, you get to define that. You know, in many ways, people get crippled by doing anything, but there's, there's so many problems we can point to within the world, and it can be exhausting, it can be overwhelming. And it's like, how do you pick? Well, there's certainly no shortage, so just picking something to focus on is better than not doing anything, right? And I like to think of it as like, if you just do one good thing a day, you've tipped the scales towards goodness, right? As opposed to, you know, evil or bad or however you want to term it. 
And I think that, that, that has to be enough. Like we, you know, yes, um, we, we would love to have a greater impact on things, but that's really just the ego because who's, again, who's to say? How are we defining this? And so what can you essentially contribute to the world? What do you want to contribute in the world? That's the real question to ask ourselves. Um, and when you do that, yeah, as I said, your purpose becomes evident. And yeah, I, you know, one of the things too, just kind of circling back to the idea of a gratitude journal, um, it's really opened my eyes to the beauty of the everyday, right? Um, another sort of fun thing that, that's kind of opened my eyes in that way has been this uh, new app called Be Real. If you aren't familiar, it, it essentially, any random moment in the day will kind of pop up and prompt you to you know post a picture of whatever it is that you're doing because it doesn't want you to like stage anything like as the name implies like just be real and it seems to be sort of taking off and i think because of that sort of pulling down of the curtain right there's no presentational aspect it is just us in whatever moment that we're in you have like two minutes to post essentially and it's been fun to sort of be on this because it's essentially proven to me how varied my life is. You know, when I sort of look at my days, they're structured, there's routines, and, you know, from a macro perspective, it can be easy to sort of fall into this version of, well, it's all the same, right? When in reality, like this, this app is prompting me at all kinds of times of the day and I find myself like, wow, you know, as I look back even just on a week, it's like, whoa, I was doing this and I was doing that and that's different from this and all that stuff, right? So I think when we can start to appreciate the day-to-day -day and remain present in it, the, the beauty of life really presents itself and it adds fuel to your fire and vice versa. Like it becomes a cyclical thing where it fuels you, you fuel it, and it's just a wonderful experience, right? That's, that's the beauty of, of all of this. Like it's, it's really magical in that way if you so choose it to be that way. Um, so yeah, uh, real quick, just taking an opportunity as well, um, speaking of cyclical things, you know, uh, I, I've kind of hinted at, you know, books and movies and just, you know, merchandise that, that I have. Um, all of it is linked to down in the description box. It would mean a lot to me if you checked that out, supported it. Um, a, just maybe you're curious, but B, you know, as that it becomes more self-sustaining, it's great because, you know, I get to create more of it. And by creating more of it, I get to extract the lessons and you know, convey them to you for your benefit for free. And so, yeah, you know, I think it, it's very symbiotic uh, in nature in that way, right? So, um, you know, check them out. All right. Um, another thing that 
that I was thinking about, you know, there, there's a lot of discussion about how representation and representation in entertainment uh, really matters. And it does. Um, because, you know, we all need people to look up to. You know, stories are are very powerful, right? Stories are tools for which we compartmentalize and use as as teaching tools for life, you know? And, you know, certainly that can go beyond, you know, I'm, I'm using storytelling, um, but certainly just, you know, this can account for music and account for sports uh, athletes and, and so forth, right? But I was listening to Robert McKee and who's, uh, you know, a script doctor as well as like storytelling guru, meaning he understands how, what makes stories work and what makes stories fail. And yeah, I mean, you know, story is a creative conversion of life itself and it gives us these tools. And when you see yourself on screen, let's say in a movie or on a TV show, it becomes that much easier to picture yourself, you know, because empathy, like that's what, that's really what stories create is an empathy, right? And so even if we aren't necessarily that person, we can still find ways to empathize, but it's a lot easier when it, it is someone that, um, that you can identify with. And that's why diversity does matter. And one of the things I was kind of thinking about um, that I think people excuse me, overlook, is in sports, how soccer is one of the most diverse sports out there. You know, one of the reasons, like I really do look back on it, as far as my life is concerned, you know, I play, like the, the, the group of kids that I played soccer with growing up, we ran the gamut, you know? of diversity, um, and then in hindsight, you know, I mean, sexuality, like, now that we live in more accepting times than we did back then, like, you know, people have come out and kind of, you know, uh, revealed the truth as it were, and it's just interesting to kind of look at that, uh, where I think... A lot of sports, there's a meritocracy, but, but there's just something special about soccer to me that is the world's game and the world essentially participates. And unlike any other sport, you know, hand-eye coordination, you know, you could practice that through anything, really. Foot-eye coordination, you don't. And, you know, what does this have to do with art and things in general? I'm not entirely sure other than the fact that it has shaped my life in that way and I'm very appreciative of it and given me various cultural perspectives that I can reflect upon in my art, that I can reflect on in life and be much more tolerant of people because, you know, I've been in the trenches like... You know, I 
Like I don't see people in that way as, as different, um, you know, to the best that I can simply because I've been around all these sorts of people. And so it feels much more natural versus, you know, um, just life in general. You know, if I didn't play soccer, right? Um, and so I think that's, that is very neat. Um, and, it's a, and yeah, just the cool fact of life that I'm just very grateful for, essentially. You know, that's, uh, this gratitude journal has made me realize that. It's like, wow, I've, I've essentially really been lucky enough to be around a lot of cultures, cultures um, throughout life for the simple fact that I played soccer. So, yeah, that's been, that's been really cool. Um, shifting gears yet again. Um, there's this one of the interesting parts. Um, so there's a new movie by David O. Russell called Amsterdam. It stars Margot Robbie, John David Washington, Christian Bale, uh, among an all-star cast of other people. Um, Rami Malek, Anya Taylor-Joy, Taylor Swift is in this. Uh, um, what's his face? Um, Robert De Niro, uh, Timothy Oliphant, I think, Mike Myers, Michael Shannon, like just <laughs> the list goes on and on. Just incredible, insanely all-star cast. And for me, it was a very fun movie. And it, it was certainly a lot more comedic and stuff like that. But what was interesting to kind of reflect upon it is there was a story I wrote called Last Blood about a detective uh, who was a soldier in the Great War, meaning World War I, and after the war he was kind of suffering depression and stuff like that, and, you know, uh, come to find that he's being recruited by this, um, his former, like, leader to essentially, like, take down the U.S. Now, I wrote this essentially when I was 14, and then, <laughs> you know, it was a film that, like, then I took this, like, short story and turned it into a film that was, like, way too ambitious for what I could pull off at the time. But nonetheless, it's, like, this, you know, fun little gem of a movie <laughs> for all of its flaws, um, even though we, like, literally pulled footage from, like, all these wars and, like, just anything to, like, make it work. Um, but I think about that and how just... Something within me told me that would be like a cool story. And, it, you know, Amsterdam and this are two very d different things. But, but seeing Amsterdam kind of validated that, that that was a worthwhile pursuit. Like there was something there. And, you know, I was 14 at the time. And certainly I could, you know, revisit this story in a now mature way if I wanted to. But all that I was really missing was the research, right? Because... It, had I done the research, like, I, it would have actually been a really cool story. And, you know, again, it, I, I still have the ability to do that. That's another aspect of, of just life in general of, you know, we, we get to revisit things. Like, you know, you can shelve something that wasn't working um, that you were having a hard time with and revisit it when you want and fix it up, right? And so this story, not that I'm, I, right now, I mean, I, honest, honestly, I have no interest in revisiting like there's you know so many projects at the moment that i'm working on um 
that it's just not something I'm interested in. But it, it, it was just cool nonetheless to see someone tell a story utilizing essentially the jumping off point that I used, except I didn't know that it was a real historical thing. And it just kind of validates the thought and affirms to me like, yeah, you know what? If you ever have a thought like that again, just do some initial research into it because you might find like there's a lot of truth to it and then you can draw from that and infuse the work with it and have it be much more meaningful, right? So that to me is the takeaway, you know, as I kind of like processed Amsterdam and what I, you know, what I thought was a great movie and it was just great to kind of be able to reflect upon like, oh wow, I had a similar-ish idea, you know, theirs was comedic, mine was much more serious and, you know, the characters and the, the plot details were certainly different, but just the jumping off point, uh, there was like a secret faction within the U.S. post-World War One that like was not happy with the government and wanted to essentially overthrow the government. Um, yeah, you know, um, that was very intriguing that I just kind of felt like that would be worth telling and exploring. I just didn't go all the way with it. All right, so now shifting gears yet again. Um, apologies that I don't have like good transitions. I just kind of have like a bullet point of stuff that I want to touch upon and you know, that's kind of how I'm essentially doing this. But one of the areas that I'm trying to become stronger within is marketing and learning more about it because I think it's, it's a very key component that as artists we should consider, right? And one of the things that John Taffer talks about is you got to know what you're selling. And so when he talks about a restaurant, by the way, John Taffer is the host of Bar Rescue. He's, you know, one of the world's, he's like the foremost expert on restaurants and bars, right? Essentially. And what he talks about is you're not selling food. You're selling an experience, right? And so that made me think about, you know, just my stuff in general. I'm not selling a product. I'm not selling a movie. I'm selling the experience of that movie, how it will affect you. Um, you know, with this, you know, I look at it like what, what I'm trying to give you is through my story, allow you to latch on to um, and maybe it's not a one for one thing, but every now and then like, you know, share my stories and you can get those, those specific takeaways. So they help you, right? That's what I'm trying to essentially sell, even though it's free that I'm doing, you know, right. Um, although I do have my Patreon page, so patreon.com slash philsfeedtech, um, you know, there we essentially, the, the goal is that, uh, we can connect more on, a, on an intimate level, more one-on-one -on -one level or group level and stuff like that. So if that's something you're interested in, check that out, patreon.com slash philosvitek. Anyway, I think that's a worthwhile thing to consider, like not just, okay, what is the product, but what is that you're really selling? And you're selling the experience of it, but like, what, okay, so what is that experience? What, and how do you convey that experience to people, right? Um, I think that that's a worthwhile thing to think about. Um, 
One of the challenges last week for me was that there was um, no internet for a few days. There was a, an outage and from essentially Wednesday to Friday morning, I didn't have internet. And that made me reflect upon like challenges of life, you know, um, <laughs> you know, in this modern age, not having internet can be problematic. But at the same time, we live in a very interesting age. So like I was able to use my phone's hotspot to do most of the work that I needed to do. Um, but when it came time to upload podcast episodes as part of my work, that required a little bit more oomph. Um, so, you know, you go somewhere where you have access to a stronger internet. Um, I also needed to do some Zoom recordings. So for that, I needed stronger internet. And so again, when you kind of operate from this place of gratitude, have this more like grateful outlook, more positive outlook, if you will, you just get to solutions faster. Because I wasn't lamenting, oh, I don't have internet, this sucks, blah, blah. Like, no, I, I use my hotspot. And then when I found out like, okay, some, for some of the stuff it worked, for some of the stuff it didn't, then it's like, okay, well, what's my next solution? You know, and I called up my friend. I was like, hey, do uh, you mind if I come over for a few hours and just, you know, use, use your internet? Like, you don't need to do anything. I won't get in your way. Or at least I'll try not to. Like, I'll even bring you food. Just, I'll just, you know, do my own thing and that's it. And I was like, yeah, no problem. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I think it just speaks to a greater truth in life of there's always going to be things that come up and, you know, it's that age old quote, uh, life is, you know, 10% of what happens to us, 90% of how we react to it, right? And it really was, you know, like being without internet, as I said, in this day and age, like, you know, at night I couldn't. <laughs> you know, watch the shows that I would normally watch, you know, because I couldn't stream stuff. Uh, so, okay, well, you know, how do I sort of unwind? Well, I, I have plenty of, you know, Blu-rays and stuff like that. So let me turn on that or, you know, just instead read a book, right? Like you find these alternatives and you make the best of it if you want to, right? It, it's, it, it's a choice. So you can either choose that or not choose it, you know, it's, it's really up to you. And so that was, that was great. Right. Um, another sort of thing, um, you know, that I was reflecting upon is this idea of patience, patience and humility. And certainly Gary B talks about this and, you know, I, I don't know, I've been listening to Gary V on a, on a few podcasts recently as a guest and, you know, so that's probably why it's in, in my mind, but that idea of patience, like he was talking about, like he always knew that he would get to where he was. The difference was he didn't put a timestamp on it, right? And I think that's why people get so frustrated is, is they feel like in their art or whatever big ambitions they have in life, there's this like certain time frame. Well, you have to have the humility to just stick with it. You know, patience, I've come to define it, is staying calm while suffering. And certainly, like, when you really want to achieve something, then just by definition, you not achieving it, uh, you know, as quickly as you want is suffering. So you have to have that patience, you know, to remain calm while that suffering is happening. 
and still be able to like just do it, um, you know, day to day and make progress, you know, in whatever small capacity you can. And that's how you achieve success. And, you know, that's why like I look at my journey and, you know, people are like, oh, well, don't you want to like be directing movies full time? It's like, yeah, okay, that'd be great. But I'm not there yet. I'm not going to lament about it. You know, like in the meantime, you know, I'm going to write books. I'm going to, I'm going to make movies. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z all on the side. And it's going to bring me joy. And I'm not going to be upset that like, it's not my full-time gig. Like, okay, yeah, it'd be great if it was, but you know, my full-time gig right now is making podcasts and I learned so much from those and that brings me joy. So it's like, what reason do I have to be upset? And you know, now when I'm sort of more in tune with this stuff, it's been really interesting to reflect upon. You know, my mornings are really when I'm most energetic and creative and stuff like that. And so I kind of really shifted and been like, you know what? Mornings are going to be for me. You know, even on work days where there's a lot, I'm going to make it a point before 9 a.m. I'm going to essentially write, you know? And, you know, I'll, because a lot of the other stuff, not that it's mindless, but I know I can do it, right? And I know it, it requires a different creativity from me rather than just coming up with something purely on the spot like writing. And so now I've really been doing writing in the morning. And, you know, even if, even if I just have an hour, I'm making great progress in that and it's fueling me to keep going in a way that, uh, you know, putting it off towards the end of the day or midday or something like that just wasn't working, right? And I think we all need to sort of look at that for ourselves and, you know, we, we, we all have different times that work best for us. Some of us are morning people, some of us are like mid-afternoon people, some of us are like nighttime people. So... You kind of have to like figure it out for yourself. But if you can do that, then really utilizing that and making that your commitment um, can help you, right? Because you can put that essentially on your schedule and and to the best of your abilities. Like, you know, it's tough if like your most productive is you know, in the early afternoon, but, you know, you're, you're at work and you have to be doing work stuff. So, so my sympathies go out to you for that. Um, but to the best that we can, like kind of trying to figure out when our most like creative productive time, productive time is and, you know, really trying to shift everything around that and making that like the sacred thing that it needs to be. And listen, there's some days where like, you know, there's a random Zoom meeting I have to hop on at like, you know, maybe seven in the morning or something like that. And it disrupts that. But one day of disruption isn't so, you know, when it's like, it's like when they talk about with food, right? If you're overall maintaining a good diet, you know, one cheat day a week or whatever, it's not going to affect you that negatively. So same sort of thing applies. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, um, you know, the ins and outs of everything that I've been 
thinking about and doing um, this, this week, uh, apart from continuing to write in the mornings, um, I've actually got a tech run through um, this Wednesday for a, for a friend's comedy show. So I will be um, doing camera on that for you know his stand-up special. And so this Wednesday we're doing just a practice run through. Um, and then on Saturday I'm filming another portion of of this uh, short film that I've been working on. You know, and so slowly but surely we've been piecemealing. Um, these little elements that are required of the movie. And then just on a personal level, since I talked about soccer, I'm excited for, on Sunday is the El Clasico, which is Real Madrid versus Barcelona, one of the biggest games in club football. Um, so yeah, really excited and looking forward to that. Hala Madrid, because I am a Real Madrid fan. Anyway, thank you so much for taking the time to tune in and, and listen. I hope... Uh, has been beneficial. I hope you gained something from it. As always, feel free to ask questions um, about what I talked about, or you know, even if I didn't talk about it, I can talk about it next time, right? So, um, thank you. I appreciate you. Hope to see you next time.